Well, you know, uh, every generation has had some notorious examples of people who have really loved money and power, and life didn't end out that well for them. I suppose in our generation, one of the best examples would be a guy named Bernie, what's his last name? Madoff. See, we all know his name, don't we? Yeah, Bernie Madoff was the top of what was perhaps the largest Ponzi scheme that the world has ever known. You know the story. He allegedly ripped off billions of dollars of people, many of whom were his friends or felt that they had become his close friends and family and associates. And you know how these pyramid schemes work. The guy at the top seems to get all the stuff, right? And tonight, we're going to be reading about a guy in the Bible who had his own wealth and power thing going. In fact, he had his own pyramid scheme thing going, his own Ponzi scheme. Some of you are familiar with his name. His name is Zacchaeus. He was the Bernie Madoff of Jericho, and it was turning out pretty well for him in terms of wealth and in terms of power, but probably not so well in terms of friendship. But he didn't have any legal issues because, because Zacchaeus actually worked for the government. It was their plan all along. But tonight, as we consider his story, we're going to say, see what happens when Zacchaeus met Jesus and his life was fundamentally changed as a result of that. Zacchaeus was both powerful and wealthy. He was not just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. And in this Ponzi scheme, the Roman government recruited Jewish people to become tax collectors for them. And we would consider tax collectors the worst of the worst. In fact, maybe in our culture, we would consider them right in there with, with pimps and with people who engage in sex trafficking, dark dealers, the worst of the worst. These would not be folks that we would generally run with in our social circles. And Zacchaeus was uh, recruited, along with other tax gatherers, by the Roman government, and in agreeing to participate, he betrayed his nation, his God, and his family sold out for money. This is how it worked. A tax collector down at the low rung would be required to collect taxes on certain kinds of things. For example, he could, if someone was coming through Jericho with a cart, could stop the guy and could tax each one of the wheels individually, could tax the cart, could tax the animal drawing the cart, and then could tax all the merchandise. Not a bad racket, huh? And then he had to pay the Roman government a set fee, and then everything else he could keep except some trickled up toward the top of the Ponzi scheme. And that's where good old Zach was. And he was, we're told, a wealthy guy. He got wealthy because he ripped people off. People probably lost their homes. If there were college accounts for the kids, those were probably taken. There were probably some cars that were repossessed in the deal. And Zacchaeus was probably living the good life. He he probably had jets and vacation homes and servants and people working for him, and he probably ate the finest food and drank the finest wine. Zacchaeus lived the good but lonely life. And that's where we find him being intrigued about meeting Jesus, and Jesus calls him out by name and invites himself over for dinner. Essentially, he says to Zacchaeus and the crowd, 
I'm calling him my friend. Zach, let's go home. Me and my buddies are going to eat at your house. Jesus said, I accept you. Let's read about it in Luke chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Stop for just a moment. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to the next major city, the largest city of Jerusalem. This is where Jesus is going to have such a large crowd welcoming him that we call it the triumphal entry. The the pre-triumphal entry crowd had already gathered in Jericho, another major city. And so the fact that Jesus was moving through and there's a huge crowd of people, we understand the context. Let's pick it up again. A man there was by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Now, all the people saw this. They all began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That's what they said. Zacchaeus and stood up and said, Lord, look, look, Lord, here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, parenthetically, Jared interjects, crowd was saying, if you've cheated anyone out of anything, really, now we're back to the text, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the who? The lost. Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The story's kind of funny, isn't it? Some of you grew up in Sunday school like I did. So one of the first stories that you probably were taught and remember was Zacchaeus. And there was a cute little song that when on about him too. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Yeah, some of you know it. It's not that good. We won't sing it. We're not going to ask James to put that into the repertoire. I would never, would never be betted by you. I know, I know. But we know this story. I don't want to lose the cuteness, but I also don't want to lose the power of what happened here, because of course we're all in the story, aren't we? It seems a little rude, doesn't it, that Jesus would be going downtown through a crowd in the middle of the parade, look up and say to a guy that he's never met before, Zacchaeus, get down here. I'm hungry. My guys are hungry. Me and the peeps, we're going to come over for dinner tonight. Get down here and fix a meal. We like to eat. Heard that you have some pretty nice stuff at your house. We're on our way over. It looks a little bit rude, doesn't it? But it worked pretty well. And it worked pretty well because what Jesus was really saying in that culture is the same thing that we would say in our own culture. If I say, I want to have a meal with you, can we get together and eat? Can I come to your house and eat? What I'm really saying is, I accept you. What Jesus was saying was, folks, I want everybody to know, I accept Zacchaeus. He's my friend. We just 
may be meeting today, but he's my friend. That's the power of what Jesus did. And you notice what happens here, of course, right away after Jesus said, this is my friend, we're gonna, we're gonna have a meal together. Everybody starts to do what? Mutter, yeah, of course they muttered. Why? Because they had religious sensitivities. In their religious model, if a right person or righteous person, like all of them, of course, if a right person hung out with a wrong person, wrong would rub off on right. So you don't want to contaminate yourself by hanging out with the wrongs. Okay, the terminology here is the righteous person can't hang out with a sinner because sinner will rub off on righteous. Now, of course, we know in other places, Jesus really challenged that broken religious model because righteousness tends to rub off on sin. That's what the story is all about, right? Jesus accepts the man while he is still the worst of the worst. And in his acceptance and extension of forgiveness, he changes a life. The religious folks didn't get the transformation piece. They only got the acceptance piece. That bothered them a lot. He's going to go eat at a sinner's house. Doesn't he know that I'm much better is what they were saying. I'm much better than Zacchaeus. Why didn't he pick me? He picked the wrong guy. He can't be all that smart. He picked the sinner guy. Mutter, mutter, mutter. But they muttered because they fundamentally didn't understand that righteousness came to rub off on sinfulness. That's the storyline. As Jesus gives us his thesis in the last verse we read, don't you know that the Son of Man, that's Luke's favorite title for Jesus, Son of God, God, man, don't you know, Jesus says, that I came fundamentally to seek, to hang out with, to find, to initiate relationships with, to assert toward, to be friends with, that I fundamentally came to seek and to save who? The lost, which of course is everyone in the crowd that day. Most of them just didn't know it yet. That's what happens in the story. Zacchaeus was absolutely guilty. Jesus forgives him. They grumbled, this isn't fair. We're better than he is. Jesus came to say, hey, I came to forgive. I also came to save and change. And of course, the powerful thing in the story is the transformation for Zacchaeus. He becomes fundamentally different, right? He goes from being the worst of the worst at the top of the Ponzi scheme toward being the best of the best in terms of restitution and generosity. He goes way beyond the Old Testament law in terms of restitution. And so he just shouts to the crowd, hey, I'm a different guy now. If I, perchance, just possibly, maybe, ripped any of you off, I want you to come talk to me. You tell me how much I ripped you off, I'm gonna pay you back four times the amount. That's a transformed person. That's going above and beyond. That's restitution. And then he says, I know what my net worth is. It's going to take a serious beating with all this restitution, but I'm going to take half of my net worth, and I'm going to give it right now to charity. That's generosity. And Jesus says to the crowd, you see what just happened here? I accepted. I forgave. He was forgiven. 
He was changed. He behaved differently. This is what Jesus said. Salvation came today to his household. That's the big story. So there's a couple of observations I'd like to make with you. Let's notice them together. The first one is this, that we are all separated by physical, social, and spiritual distance from God and from each other. Jesus met Zacchaeus in all of those spaces. Zacchaeus was physically separate from him, right? He was a short guy, and he couldn't see over the crowd, so he had a physical separation of sight, line of sight. He also had the separation of distance, probably many yards away from Jesus, and so he decided that he was going to get a little bit closer by getting a little bit higher and seeing him, separated physically. Zacchaeus and Jesus were also substantially separated socially, weren't they? One of them was wealthy. One of them didn't have very many assets, would be considered in his culture rather poor. One of them was able to express that wealth in a lifestyle that Jesus, the other one, didn't at all as a wandering nomad preacher and leader. They were separated by social distance. One of them was kind of a preacher type, and the other one was a tax collector, which made him wealthy, but socially he was an outcast. A lot of social distance. We know what social distance feels like, don't we? Have any of you ever been invited over to someone's home or maybe out to dinner and they've taken you to a really fancy place or they've really, uh, you know, put on the, the deal for you in their home and there's like 16 different utensils that you're supposed to work with? Ever, ever been there? Any of you kind of grow up on the farm like me where if you couldn't do it with a fork, you'd work on it with a knife, but forks could actually do the entire meal all by themselves? Some of you are there. You start from the one fork guy and you go to the, the 16 silverware kind of a setting kind of thing and there's bowls and cups and saucers all around the place. Social distance, right? How does that make us feel when we step into a place that's awkward? It's awkward, isn't it? I'm not sure I be, what do we say? I'm not sure I belong here. We don't feel like we belong here. There's social distance. Ann and I, uh, seven years ago, when we moved back home to Oregon and, and uh, moved to our Renko station in Hillsborough, we immediately began to have some new kinds of social encounters and experiences. A gay couple had gotten married in Multnomah County during a three-week window a few years ago when that was available there, uh, lived across the street from us, and uh, another gay couple moved just kind of across Kitty Corner across the alley from us, and our community is really designed for all of us to know and love one another and have relationship and friendship, and so it was kind of a new social distance for us to have really close, proximate neighbors just feet literally or yards away from us, that we're engaged now with these gay couples in our neighborhood friendship. And then they began inviting us into their world as we invited them into our worlds as social network friends do. And they began to invite us to participate in some of the social groups that they're a part of and charities and other things. And we began to ask the question, how do we belong? How do we fit in this social kind of environment? I hope that you're finding yourself being stretched with the same kinds of questions. If you're not, then get out more often and have a little bit broader life because Jesus is constantly stretching the categories for us of what it looks like for us to belong socially and to let there be some tension in that. We also see that there was a distance spiritually. We didn't hear the big bang with Adam and Eve, not the big bang of the theory of the distribution of matter 
and energy into matter. But the Big Bang, in terms of the fall that was heard around the earth and echoes in every generation worldwide, theologians call it the fall. The crashing down of integrity and oneness that God had originally created us to have as his family. The intimate relationship with a man and a woman, with God and with one another and them with nature that came crashing down and splintering and breaking apart as that fall took place because sin now separated us and created all of these distances. Jesus meets a guy named Zacharias, uh, uh, Zacchaeus that day in all of those distances and somehow is able to bridge the physical, the social, and the spiritual distance and to bring him in to a relationship. Amazing thing. The second observation that we see is that Jesus bridges all of those distances as he accepts people. Have any of you heard around churches, church people talk about you should accept Jesus? Any of you heard that? You should accept Jesus. None of you have ever heard that. It's okay to use your hand here. I'd love to know that everybody, anybody ever heard someone say you should accept? Thank you. I just, I appreciate that. Of course. And we still do. But did you notice in the passage that it's primarily not about a guy accepting Jesus? Did you notice that? The story is about Jesus accepting a a guy. It's about God's son coming to accept people to seek and to save the lost. Jesus coming to bridge the distances by saying, I accept you. And in that safe, powerful invitation for us then to make the decision in response, as Zacchaeus did, about how we're going to respond to that acceptance. Jesus bridges all of these distances as he accepts people. Well, This is where you're going to enjoy the benefit of my artistic work tonight. Are you ready for this? I know it's been tough to listen to me just talk because the pens are here and you've known I'm going to break them out. Kevin, are you ready? Here we go. All right. So I need someone to draw a picture of you that looks different than that. But that's who you're going to be tonight, okay? I'd see yourself in that picture. Okay, there. Ben, you do? I appreciate that, Ben. Thank you very much. This is us. And in life, we have these different spaces in which we belong. We, first of all, what's the first space called? Name it out for me. Public space. Public space. Yes. Okay, commentary is allowed, but keep it down over there. Keep it down over there. That's right. Public space. So if you happen to be a Blazer fan... You have joined a public space. It's a place where you belong. If you happen to own Mac computers and be, be a, an Apple person, you have joined a public space, and there's kind of an affinity. You see the little Apple, and there's a connection there. Today, as we were about to check out from the hotel in Spokane and make the lovely drive home, hmm, lovely drive, <clears throat> I'm glad I'm standing tonight. Sorry that you have to sit in. As I uh, was coming in the, uh, off the parking lot, I had to use a room key to get into the hotel. And there was a guy right in front of me, and he had his key out. And I thought, how cool, I don't have to do that. And as he opened the door and turned to let me in, I noticed that he was wearing an Oregon T-shirt. And I said to him, as we entered public space together, go Ducks. 
And he said, go Ducks. And I said, so who's our quarterback going to be this fall? And he said, I don't know. And he began talking about the possibilities. We had a 27-second relationship. And it was entirely comfortable. We both felt like we belonged in that public space. And we did. Shared public space. What's the next space that we belong in? What was it again? I just love hearing you guys. Social space. This is where we uh, choose to be uh, a part of a group of people where we can actually try each other onto size a little bit. So some of you have gone to like networking events for business. That's what that's about. You move around, and the deal is that you move in and out of relationships. You kind of connect with people, and you meet them a little bit. And what you're asking is, it's kind of like speed dating. Is this a person that I'm interested maybe in connecting with a little bit more? It's what happens in the lobby out here during hospitality after the services. We move into social space. And some of us prefer not to move into social space. We find a different exit from the building because, well, yeah, what we really wanted to do, to, to belong at Evergreen, was to belong in public space. And that's meaningful for us. We want to belong to public space, but I don't know that I really want to connect with you in social space, because if I connect with you in social space while chewing on something and drinking something, we, you might actually decide you want to pursue me in a relationship. I'm not sure that I want to expose myself to that yet, because what happens to us in the next space? It's personal space. Get out of my face. That's what introverts say when they have too many people in their life, right? There we go. Personal space. This is where we have good friends. And these friends that we have, and if you have good friends, what a gift of a lifetime, isn't it? Amazing? Yeah. Good friends are people who know us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and they still accept us. And they don't tell other people how ugly we can be. Is that a good definition of a friend or what? Yeah. And so personal space is where people know us and we know them and we share our story together. And maybe we don't see them for a year and then we bump into them and we pick up right where we left off because we belong with them. There is such a connection there. There is so much trust and there is so much safety there. And we now have friendship. We know and we are known. And what is the last space? Intimate. Is that how that's spelled? Thanks, Ann. Some of you are saying, I don't know what you wrote. I don't, how would I know if you spelled it right? Intimate space. <clears throat> we shouldn't have too many intimate friends. You know what I mean here? Yeah. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Not just sexual intimacy, but certainly sexual experience is an expression of intimacy. Maybe if we're fortunate... Maybe if God's blessed us with a spouse that we really have close, intimate relationship with, there's one. Maybe we have two or three friends over the course of a lifetime that would share life with us at such an intensely deep level that we would really consider that an intimate level. And so we belong in these four different spaces. And each of them is a space that we find meaning. It makes sense for us to find meaning in a public space and belonging in social spaces and belonging in personal spaces. And it makes sense for us. We long to have an intimate relationship. Notice what Jesus did in our story today with Zacchaeus. Where did he first find him? 
in public space. They were sharing the same experience. It made sense for both of them to belong there. Jesus was the celebrity. Zacchaeus was a tax collector that no one was going to let him elbow his way through, so he climbed a tree. But they were in a public space, and it made sense for both of them to belong there. And what did Jesus do when he looked up into the tree? He created a social space. And now Zacchaeus could belong in that space. Now, Jesus had him up a tree, so there wasn't a lot of recourse for old Zac, was there? He was kind of stuck out on the limb, as we would say, mixing our metaphors here. But it's a beautiful mixing. There's a related social space. When Jesus looked up and said, you're Zacchaeus. And the crowd around is going, he knows him more than public knowing. He knows him as an individual. He knows his name. And what did Jesus do next? I want you to get out of that tree because me and the guys want to come over and we want to eat in your house. He's closing the distance very rapidly when he says, I want to move into personal space, your house. I think he might have said, Zacchaeus, not very many people come to your house. I understand that. But I'm telling the whole world that I accept you. I want to come to your place. I want to belong in your place. I want to belong where we experience friendship and we break bread together and we enjoy one another and we get to know each other and where life transformation can take place together. And then, of course, the transformation indicates that Zacchaeus accepted Jesus in intimate space. So intimate that his life was transformed before he ever got home for dinner, as far as we know. So transformational that he generously pledged half of his estate to charity and promised fourfold restitution. The life change happened when he invited Jesus into intimate space. So when we talk about, is this your day to accept Jesus? We can be talking about all of these spaces. And here at Evergreen, we're a church that recognizes and appreciates and affirm experience in all of these spaces at Evergreen. In fact, on the uh, opportunities, the e-opportunities uh, flyer that is always available. Sometimes it's on your chairs. Uh, today it's available in the back and out in the kiosk. I think there's a board of about 40 uh, two different ways to connect at Evergreen. And they're across all of these spaces. Because some of us want to connect publicly. I have friends here at Evergreen who have been coming for an extended period of time that are still choosing to belong at Evergreen in public space. I have never engaged them in the lobby. I've never participated in a group where I've seen them there because what makes sense for them is to belong in a public space. And we want to be a place that allows people to belong in that way. We're a place that trusts people to take their next best step. We trust that the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that Jesus speaks to his sheep, and that he calls us into next steps. And what we do is we make opportunities available for people to hear the Lord say, this is the next step that I'm calling you into. We always want to be a community that invites and engages people in a public kind of way that doesn't require that everyone around here really get intimate with each other. Did you know that not everyone in the world dreams that in their most beautiful life that they could sit on someone's couch and look across 
four feet of space to another chair and look at their, their eyes and get intimate with them. That's just not everyone's dream. You're with me, right? Okay. And so we trust the Holy Spirit and you to make your decisions about what your next connection step is. And across the 42 of the opportunities here, and there's going to be a bunch new ones, of fresh ones, and some renewed ones this fall, you, as you're thinking about it, know what that next step might look like for you. Some of you have been coming for a while and you're feeling unconnected. Your next step might be to put yourself in a social space that gives you the opportunity to start rubbing shoulders with some people to try some folks on for size. Or maybe trying out a group or two to see how that works for you, to see if there is a connection there. Is this where there can be a group of people or a person that I'm finding a way of connecting toward? Because this is what we discover, that Jesus has come to bring us together and reconcile us with God and with each other. And he invites us as he pursues us to come into circles of relationship where we can connect and be committed and participate and where we find that connection significant and helpful. Jesus said, I accept you, I accept you, I accept you, I accept you. And then he invites us to say, and I accept you.